as part of the message at the very end, we're going to be celebrating communion together. Most of you, when you came in, if you came in the front, you should have received a cup. But if you did not, if you can raise your hand and we'll have a couple of our guys make sure we give those to you. So keep your hands up and they'll make sure that you are covered. If you have your Bibles, Psalm 23, Psalm 23, as they're handing those out, wanted to tell a quick story. On Tuesday, myself and Kelly had the privilege of going and visiting Brother Steve, and we um, wanted to celebrate communion with him. So we went to this hospice room, and we were getting ready to celebrate communion, and we had the cups out, and um, the nurse walked in uh, with his meal. So she was kind of setting the meal up, and she saw the cup sitting right in front of Brother Steve, and she said, um, oh, what, what kind of creamer is that? I've never seen a cream like that before, and I was like, well, that's communion. We're about to celebrate communion together, and of course, she couldn't have got out of the room any faster than she did. Well, a few minutes later, Joe and Chelsea are um, coming in, and they're signing in, and signing in to see Brother Steve, and that same nurse, and I, I, I'll paraphrase, basically said, hey, um, you know, be careful when you walk in. They're, they're doing spiritual things, or the spiritual people are doing spiritual things in, in that room. So anyway, we're about to do some spiritual things in this room. And uh, we are about to dive in the word, and then we're going to celebrate communion together at the end of our time. When we think about where we are, we are in the middle of our Names of God series, where we have seen week in and week out that God has a name for every need. And this morning, we come to Psalm 23, the pearl of all the Psalms, and to the name Jehovah Ra'ah. And I know you look on the screen, it looks like Rohai. But Hebrew is Hebrew. So Jehovah Ra'ah, the name, the Lord is my shepherd. And untold millions have found treasure here in Psalm 23. For this psalm gives comfort in times of sorrow. It gives encouragement in times of difficulty. It gives assurance in times of doubt. It gives peace in times of sickness. And it gives hope in times of loss. And it's easy for us to become so familiar with a passage like this that we no longer consider what God is saying and how we should respond to God and to his word. Let me just say this. Throughout the Bible, God has been described or is described as a lion, an eagle, a lamb, the sun, a light, a consuming fire, a fountain, a hiding place in the Psalms. He is the king who rules over us. He is a rock of immovable stability for us. He is a deliverer in times of distress. He is a fortress in whom we seek refuge. He is a shield behind whom we safely retreat. And he is our glory and the lifter of our heads. But it is here in Psalm 23 that we meet the Lord, our shepherd, Jehovah Ra'ah. And there is something special about God being our shepherd. All throughout scripture, God's people, his followers are referred to as sheep more than anything else. So over 200 times we're referred to as sheep. The Bible does not picture us as kingly lions or as strong bears or as wise owls. No, God in his word says, you're sheep. Sheep, unattractive creatures, sheep, witless, some may say dumb, defenseless, easily frightened, unclean by nature, and God looks at us and says, yeah, that's about right. 
that's about, right? That's who we are. Yet, think about this. According to Scripture, it's better to be a sheep than a lion. Lions are fierce and ferocious, strong. Sheep are weak and defenseless. Yet, sheep don't have to fear for their safety. Lions are mighty hunters, yet it is sheep who don't go hungry. That's because sheep have something that lions don't. Sheep have a shepherd. Sheep have a shepherd. The lion has to depend on his own strength, his own cunning. Yet the sheep belong to one who has willingly laid his life down for his sheep. Meaning God is the greatest security we have and we will ever have. And when we think about the psalm we're about to read, this psalm is so very personal. There is no we or us or they, only me, my, I. And this psalm is overflowing from David's personal experience with God. And I think one of the reasons that we're attracted to this psalm is because deep down we want this. We want what David is showing us in this psalm. That we are walking with God, we're trusting God, we're depending upon God, we're, we're declaring who God is and we're talking to God. It's just an outpouring of David's relationship. And as David shows us, we can know God as our shepherd and know that he is a good, good shepherd to us. So I want us to read this psalm. I'm going to actually put it on the screen in slides because what I want to do is I want to, as we read it, I want to connect it to the series that we are in and show you something maybe you have never seen. So I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word, and we are going to read the psalm. If you want to look at it in your Bibles, that's fine, or you will see it on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Ra'ah. I shall not want. Why? Because he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Why? Because he is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is our peace. He restores my soul. Why? Because he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Why? Because he is Jehovah Sekinu, the Lord who is our righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Why? Because he is Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is there. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Meaning there's victory there because you are Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. You anoint my head with oil because you are Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies and sets us apart. My cup overflows. And then if you can say the end with me, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? And ever and ever and ever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd, and we thank you that this isn't just a song for dying. It's a song, a psalm for living. And help us to live this psalm, to live this psalm, knowing, Lord, if we are yours, you are our shepherd. Lord, just speak to us today in a way that encourages us, in a way that lifts our soul up. 
and confidence, God, that this is who you are and forever will be. Have your way. Speak, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So the Lord is my shepherd, and he is everything that follows in this chapter. He leads me. He guides me. He directs me. He satisfies me. He does everything that a shepherd does for his sheep and more. He has not left us alone to face our challenges. He has taken responsibility in leading us, caring for us, feeding us, satisfying us. What an incredible truth. The Lord, the one and only, is our shepherd. Therefore, we shall not want. Just think about what inference does David draw from this marvelous truth. Is it, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I do what I want? No. Is it, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I can wander off whenever I want to? No. It's, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore, hear this, I lack Nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. There is nothing I need, says David, that God will not supply. God supplies all things, for he is all sufficient. God supplies good things because he is good, gracious, and merciful. God supplies supernatural things because he is God. And God supplies everything because he owns it all. So when God is your shepherd, you lack nothing. You lack nothing. Now, some of you are thinking, well, nuh-uh. God will give you everything you need. God has never promised to give you all you wanted. I can assure you this. If God, if God promised to give us all we wanted, God would be signing our own death certificate. Because we don't know what we want. But praise be to God, he does. So what I want to do is I want us to quickly unpack five truths you heard that correctly not three but five i promise to get you out sometime today five truths that show us what kind of shepherd jehovah Ra is to us and looking at this beautiful picture number one we see jehovah Ra's relationship to us look at his relationship in verse one i love how this chapter begins the lord is my shepherd i shall not want sometimes we want to rush to the green pastures. We want to rush to the still waters, but in, in rushing to those things, we rush right past our shepherd, forgetting that he is the good part for us. And this is where we're reminded that this chapter isn't mainly about us as sheep. This chapter is mainly about God as our shepherd, the one eternal, self-existing, all-sufficient, covenant-making, covenant-remembering, covenant-keeping God of Israel is our shepherd. And because we must come to him on his terms, we have to come to him as David did as Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. We have to continue in him as Lord. And all throughout this chapter, there is an individualistic emphasis that David gives. Again, we don't find the words our or we. There are 17 different times that a first-person pronoun is used, meaning that our relationship with God is first and foremost individualistic. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. 
I'm not saying that church doesn't matter. I'm not saying that we shouldn't live for other people. What I'm saying when I say that our faith is individualistic is this. I can't make you choose the Lord. I can't make you follow the Lord. I can't make you love the Lord. I can't make you want more of him. I can't. I can't do that for you. Let's be honest. We have a hard enough time doing it for ourselves. But here's what I do know. The more I give myself to seeking the Lord, the more I give myself to his word, the more God will give me a heart, not just for individualisticness, but for others. I won't keep this to myself. I can't keep this to myself. Therefore, it becomes about others. And ultimately, what we just read is not the picture isn't the Lord is a shepherd. It's not even the Lord is the shepherd. David is saying the Lord is my shepherd. David is saying he cares for me. He watches over me. He provides for me. He protects me. Oftentimes when the word shepherd is used in scripture, it oftentimes paints a picture of a distant deliverer. Yet David is saying, no, no, he's my shepherd. He's with me. Have an intimate relationship with him. This is a picture of a loving shepherd who personally cares for his sheep. There is no greater relationship than the relationship between the great shepherd and us as his sheep. That the great shepherd would want us as his sheep is humbling. But that the great shepherd would lay down his life so that we could become his sheep is overwhelming. He laid down his life so that we could be his sheep. And if, if you are not his sheep, then you will be wanting. But if you are his sheep, you will want for nothing. Think about this. What is it that we will not want for? If you are his, you will not want for rest, for he makes us lie down in green pastures. You will not want for peace, for he leads us beside still waters. You will not want for healing, for he restores your soul again and again. You will not want for guidance, for he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You will not want for companionship, for even in the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. You will not want for comfort, for his rod and his staff comfort us you will not want for fellowship for he prepares a table before us even in the presence of our enemies and you will not want for protection because he does that in the presence of our enemies you will not want for purpose for he anoints our head with oil he consecrates us you will not want for abundance for he makes our cup overflow you will not want for grace for he makes his goodness and mercy Follow us all the days of our life, and you will not want for security, for he makes us to dwell with him forever and ever and ever. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. I lack nothing. This is his relationship. But number two, Jehovah Ra's leadership of us. Look at verses 2 and 3. You'll see them on the screen. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd goes before the sheep. The sheep do not go before the shepherd. Cattle and horses can be driven from behind, but sheep must be led from ahead. 
If you attempt to drive sheep, they will scatter and get themselves in a mess. Sheep need guidance. Sheep need direction, need leadership. And sheep don't necessarily have to know where they're going. They just have to know the one who's going before them. They don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. They're just thinking, he's our shepherd. He's never let us down before. And our journey, think about this, what we just read, what you see on the screen, our journey is dependent not upon ourselves but upon him. It says, he makes me. He leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. The good shepherd has taken responsibility for our souls. Look at your life. Look at your past. And note how he has led you in the past. Look at your life right now and note how he is leading you even now. Our God doesn't coerce us. He doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't trick us. He lovingly leads us in paths of righteousness. John Piper put it this way. God is the beginning and God is the end of all my righteousness. The path of righteousness has his grace as its starting point. He leads me into it and it has his glory as its destination because his leading is for his name's sake. In his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller tells of how shepherds would raise sheep for their wool. And he would say that the shepherd would then lead the sheep to the market in order to sell their coats. But the shepherd would have to choose the path very carefully because if the shepherd showed up with wounded or maimed sheep, it would, of course, hurt his profit. So he would lead his sheep on straight paths to the marketplace. But at some point, the merchants would no longer even examine the sheep. They would just accept them on the reputation of the shepherd for his name's sake. And this is how the Lord leads us. We can trust his reputation. He has never failed. He has never lost a battle. He never, ever will his reputation is on the line is at stake his word is on the line and he can be trusted but let me say this maybe you're here today and you have struggled or you are struggling maybe you're here today and you have fretted or you are fretting when all is said and done you have one decision today will you continually follow the shepherd will you say god you lead i'll follow I'll follow. Even when I don't like when you're, where you're leading, even when it doesn't seem right or fair, God, I'm going to trust you that you are leading me to provision. You're leading me to rest. You're leading me to peace. You're leading me to restoration. And you're leading me through every valley I have to walk through. But the promise is I will, through your leading, make it through. Therefore, let us, as his sheep, Maintain our position behind him. He leads, we follow. He leads, we follow. He leads, we follow. Which leads us to number three, Jehovah Ra's companionship with us. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. We'll just stop there. Everything seems to make sense in verses 1 through 3. And then all of a sudden we get to verse 4 and we enter into the valley of the shadow of death. And in this valley there are no green pastures. There are no still waters or restful waters. 
Here it is dark, it is uncertain, it is unclear. And in our flesh, we would often wish that God would just take us around this valley. God, I don't want to go through it. Just take me around it. Yet, God's unfailing promise here is that we will go through this valley. He will not leave us alone in the midst of this valley. And the valley does two things, at least two things. The valleys that we go through, number one, emphasizes the power of the shadow. Shadows can paralyze us. Shadows can even defeat us because of our fearful nature. But think about this. Shadows can't kill us. Shadows can't speak to us. Shadows can't harm us. Have you ever been run over by the shadow of a truck? Have you you ever been bitten by the shadow of a dog? Have you ever been cut by the shadow of a knife? No, because a shadow is ultimately just a shadow. Shadows seem bigger than they are. They're more ominous than they are. But think about this. What does it take in order to have a shadow? In order to have a shadow, you must have light. You must have light. And the light that has been given to us in relation to this valley is this. The valley isn't always good, but the shepherd always is. That should have got an amen from a saved crowd somewhere. The valley isn't always good. In fact, sometimes the valleys stink. But God is always good. He's always good. And our choice becomes we can either stand still and be paralyzed by the shadow. Or we can keep moving forward knowing that there is light on the other side. Think about this. Every single one of our paths on our path of life, death somewhere is on the side of the road. And light is on the other side, and it has a shadow across our path. And every single one of us will have to, at one time or another, go through it. But if you are a child of God and the Lord is your shepherd, here's what you do. You go through it knowing that light awaits you on the other side. There is light waiting for you on the other side. Don't miss this. Jesus passed through death so that we who are in him will only have to pass through death's shadow. I tell this story at many funerals, and I've told it before. The story of a young father who was leaving the funeral of his wife. He's riding with his young daughter who had just lost her mother. And as they are driving home from the funeral, the daughter asks her father, Dad, what what does it mean, the valley of the shadow of death? And, of course, the father thought and thought, and as he drove, a semi-truck pulled alongside of him. And the shadow came over their car as they were driving. And it dawned on him. He said to his daughter, which would you rather have happen? Would you rather stand in front of the shadow of this truck or would you rather stand in front of the truck itself? And the daughter said, well, duh, dad, I'd rather stand in front of the shadow because it can't hurt me. And the dad said, honey, Jesus stood in front of the truck itself. So that we who trust in him, just like your mother, will only ever have to stand in front of the shadow. That is the goodness of what our Savior has done. Because he took the full extent of death, we will only have to face its shadow. Oh, the beauty of what that means. So the the valley emphasizes the power of the shadow, but it also establishes the presence of the shepherd. Think about this. In verse 4, 
a shift takes place. Prior to this valley experience, David referred to the shepherd as he. But now all of a sudden in the valley, he's saying, you, you, you are with me, your rod, your staff. And here's the beauty of it. When times are really, really good, it's easy for us to talk about God. But when we get in the midst of it, we must pray to him. We must cry out to him. It's good that we can still preach it to ourselves, but we must cry out. All of a sudden, it's not just, oh, what he has done. It's he has done. It's God, here's, here's what I need you to do. Oh, God, here's, here's who you are. Here's what I need you to do in this moment. God, help me. Be my help. Be my strength. Be my peace. Be my hope. Be my all. And in the midst of every valley that we walk through, there are four words that our shepherd wants us to hear, and they are this, I am with you. I'm with you. You will never be alone in the valley. God does not abandon his own in the valley. He walks with us through the valley. And in the valley, we get the best gift there is. We get God himself. So Jehovah Ra's companionship with us. Which leads us to number four, Jehovah Ra's guardianship over us. His guardianship, look at verses four and five. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We don't have to fear because his rod and his staff are comforting us. Russell Moore, in, in a commentary entitled Where the Wild Things Are, writes these words, heroic figures in scripture are often, are often pictured as heroic slayers of dangerous animals. Think about David or think about Samson. In the shepherd imagery of the Bible, the shepherd's primary duty is to protect his flock from predators by fighting them off. That's why the psalmist is comforted by the good shepherd's rod and staff. It's not just that they look cool and are shepherd-like, it's that they are used to knock the teeth out of the wolves and the big cats. The bold shepherd devotes himself to exterminating predators whenever and wherever they can be found. That's what our shepherd does for us. Our shepherd guards us in dangerous places in the valley, but he also guards us against dangerous people, our enemies, those who want to harm us. And David says that God prepares a table before us even in the presence of our enemies. And for so long, I always thought that that meant I'm sitting down and here my enemies are sitting around me. But that, that's not the picture. The picture is what God is saying. What David is saying here is God makes us, allows us to sit down in perfect communion with him, even when people are around us that want to harm us. And God is saying, in this moment, you're safe. In this moment, it doesn't matter what they're doing, but they can't get to you. Even in the presence of our enemies, we are, we are able to enjoy his communion, his goodness, his, his grace. And God isn't just guarding us from evil. He's guarding us for good. He prepares a table before us. He anoints our head with oil. He consecrates us. And then it says this, our cup overflows. Oh, to God that more Christians look like their cup was overflowing. There's many people who claim to be Christians. Let me tell you what their cup overflows with. Bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, hatred, and anyone who comes in their path, it drips all over them. There's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a 
better and more biblical way. I love what Joni Erickson Tata said. She said, when something overflows, we usually think of a waste or a squandered resource. Water that overflows a dam rushes out to sea. Gas that overflows a tank pollutes the ground. But what about a life that overflows? What about a man or a woman who brims over with joy and grace and love that God gives? Is it all down the drain? And then she continues. God doesn't intend your life to overflow down the storm drain or to evaporate in the air. God wants your life to soak others. The spillover of his love, his goodness, his joy in our lives is to benefit and encourage those around us. Brothers and sisters, that is the better way. That's the better way. As we commune with him, as our cup overflows of his joy, his peace, his mercy, his grace, others get a glimpse of of that in and through our lives. And the answer to why we have that isn't us. It's because of him, because the Lord is my shepherd. So the Jehovah Ra's guardianship of us leads us to number five, Jehovah Ra's fellowship with us. Oh, how this psalm ends. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. Charles Spurgeon said that goodness and mercy were like being chased by two guard dogs, that they are in hot pursuit of us. And what this shows us is that our shepherd is constantly pursuing us right now. His mercy and his goodness are pursuing us, not keeping us at a distance. They're pursuing us, meaning in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our fears, his goodness and mercy are following us. There will come a day where we will look back on our lives, and it will be revealed that there was not one moment, there was not one difficulty, there was not one circumstance, there was not one huge loss in our life where God's goodness and mercy were not in hot pursuit, pursuing us, and not just pursuing us, picking up the broken pieces of our lives. That's the goodness of our shepherd. Do you know him? Do you know him in that way? And not only will it be shown that the shepherd will have constantly pursued us, it will be shown that our shepherd will continually dwell with us. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to show you a few verses. They're going to be on the screen, but if you want to turn to Revelation 7, you can do so. But Revelation 7, 15 and 17, it says this. Therefore, they, people around the throne, those born again, are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits in the throne will shelter them in his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Hear this. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes brothers and sisters don't miss this the one who is our good shepherd also became our sacrificial lamb became the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world our shepherd became a lamb 
allowing us to become his sheep. And then, according to Revelation 7, our shepherd, the lamb, will shepherd us forever. He'll shepherd us forever. That's what he will do. So in the future, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you will enter into a place of marvelous light, a place of unhindered fellowship, a place where sin cannot dwell, nor can the consequences of sin dwell, a place that you will be with him forever. Listen, we began with the shepherd leading us into green pastures beside still waters and righteous paths, even leading us through dark valleys in the presence of our enemies, all the while enjoying communion with our shepherd throughout the journey. And now at last we have arrived at our final destination, the father's house. Yet it all comes through knowing the shepherd. Many, many years ago, one of England's leading actors went to a party. And at the party, he was asked to perform for his fellow guests. And he agreed and he asked if there was anything special that his audience would like to hear. And they got silent. Then finally, one older pastor who was there said, could you please recite the 23rd Psalm? A strange look came over the actor's face. He paused for a moment and then he said, I will under one condition. That when I get done, you will recite the 23rd Psalm after me. The pastor responded, of course, well, I am not eloquent in words and I am not a showman, but I will do as you have asked. So the actor begins impressively. He begins reciting this psalm. His, his voice, his intonation are, are perfect. He held the audience spellbound all the way through. And as he gets to the end, all of a sudden, a great burst of applause broke out from the guests. They're clapping and clapping and clapping. And finally, the actor settled him down. And he looked at the pastor and he said, now it's your turn. To which the pastor humbly stood up and began reciting the psalm. His words were not remarkable. His intonation was not perfect. It was ordinary. Yet, as he finished, there was no clapping. Yet what there was was tears and weeping and heads that were bowed down. The actor stood up and humbly with a shaking voice put his hand on this pastor's shoulder and said, when I spoke, I had your eyes and I had your ears. When he spoke, he had your heart. And then the actor said this, if you want to know the difference, here it is. I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. Brothers and sisters, you might know this psalm. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know the Lord is my shepherd? Do you know that? Oh, today, I pray that you do. If you don't, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day that you understand the shepherd became a lamb so that we who were lost and wondering could be brought in. Oh, the beauty of his grace and mercy. And call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But we also want to take time for those who know the Lord today to celebrate what he has done for us. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take out your communion cups. And as you do so, we're going to pause in this moment and we're going to pray. So, fathers, we pause in this moment. We pray knowing that, God, we as, as sheep, Lord, are... We're sinful sheep, Lord. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to continue to need, God, you to 
Seek us out and bring us back. And Lord, we can't approach this celebration, this ordinance, without understanding our own sin. That we have sinned, that we have fallen short of your glory. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sin. And we ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us. In this moment of all unrighteousness, help us to approach this ordinance, God, with joy in our hearts, but also humbly and rightly. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. And thank you, Jesus, that you, the Lamb, will shepherd us forever. Have your way. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to take that top layer off and get the bread and hold it for a moment. As we come to this ordinance, this celebration of communion, we are not here today believing in or participating in some dead ritual. We are here today celebrating, rejoicing in what our Savior has done for us. And we believe that this bread represents his broken body. His broken body, that he gave his body to be tortured before and on a cross for us. In John 6, Jesus said, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Jesus said, whoever eats this bread, meaning whoever believes in me by faith, will live forever. His body. Then let's turn to the cup that represents the shed blood of our Savior. In Hebrews chapter 9, we are told that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. His body, his blood for us. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And here's the good news for us today, brothers and sisters. He's coming. He's coming. I don't know the day or the hour, but I know this. It's closer today than it was yesterday. It'll be closer tomorrow than it was today. He is coming. And he will forever prove himself faithful. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to call the band down as we enter in this time of just rejoicing. And we're going to sing a song about why Jesus came, that he indeed has come to save us. So let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. Thank you that you are the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. That we are a wandering people, and yet you are a shepherd who seeks out the one. Lord, you bring us back into the fold. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you as we're about to sing that, Jesus, you indeed have came to save us. I pray that everyone in this room, everyone watching online can say they've been saved by you, Jesus, by what you have done for us. 
If not, may today be a day of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for who you forever